Those of you who are staying, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians this morning. Looking at chapter 5. Now you'll notice in our world that any time any large or any event that has a global impact, anything significant, it uh, seems like every time something happens, whether it's COVID, whether it's uh, most recently what's happening in Israel, you'll all of a sudden see this huge spike in information being put out all over the place about what it all means. Anybody else have that experience, right? After things start to get a little worse, all of a sudden Israel, all of a sudden you're your social media news feeds and things are just full of all of this information. Now, I don't know about you, but I, even as a, as a pastor, that information can be overwhelming. It's hard to figure out what to do with that, right? And even for me, who has gone to college and I have a master's degree and I've studied theology and I've studied how to, how to read the Bible and all of this, even I, I look at that and I see pastors that have you know, 20 or 30 years more experience or they've really focused in this area and I am just at times overwhelmed by how much I don't know about the subject and how how little I feel like I comprehend it. And I believe that that's probably a common feeling, that we want to believe the right thing, we want to know the right thing, we don't want to miss things, we want to understand, but it can be very, very difficult to do that, Right? What's interesting is here in Paul's first letter to the church at Thessalonica, they're kind of having the same problem. And we see evidence of that because Paul ends this letter by answering some questions that they have. And what you'll see in the beginning of the passage I'm about to read is Paul, Paul lets us know as, as future readers that he's addressing questions that they have brought to them. So let's get into the passage Uh, and see what Paul has to say to a church that is, in a lot of ways, seeing persecution and brokenness in the world, persecution of of the church, and all of these things, and feeling much the same way as we are. They're saying, we don't know what to feel or think or believe, let alone how to act on what's happening in the events around us. Paul says this, Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, You have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation." For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain a salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up 
just as you are doing. Now, the goal for this morning, if I do my job properly, after this message, every single question that you've ever had about the end times and what we're supposed to think and do about it will be answered. I'm both happy and a little offended that you laughed harder at that than any joke I've told in six months of being here. But that was, that was absolutely the appropriate response. I'm obviously not going to do that. What I am going to attempt to do is give us a few simple, basic ideas and truths to help us navigate these sorts of discussions. And I think just as importantly, feelings what we feel and what happens within us emotionally and spiritually when we're confronted with these kind of things. Now, what we need to do from the beginning is step one, which is don't try to answer every question all at once. We start with what we can know and what we can understand, and we go from there, all right? So the first thing Paul says, he says, now concerning the times and seasons, you have no need to have anything written to you. So clearly they've written to Paul saying, hey, could you let us know more precisely when these things are going to happen, right? They, they say, can you just really you know, let us know so, so we know when to expect it? Now, the, the phrase here, um, times and seasons, both of those, uh, those words are very, very similar. It's a phrase that was used often in the early church uh, that sort of began to uh, lose meaning literally. It was just a phrase the early church used to talk about the end times, um, generally. So, so they write to him about that, and he says, you don't need to have anything written. And he gives them this image of you are in light, you are not in darkness. Now, if we played a little game where we, uh, we brought someone up on the stage and I threw a basketball to them, and the lights were on, right? And I said, catch this. They would probably be able to catch it just fine. If I had brought a blindfold, I would have just made somebody do it. But I don't keep blindfolds on the stage. If then we put that blindfold on the person, what's the first thing that they would probably say? I said, right, all right, you're going to stand over here. You're going to be blindfolded. I'm going to throw you this basketball, and you're going to catch it. The first thing they would probably respond is, okay, let me know when you're going to throw it. Right? You're saying, I can't see, so I need to see exactly when it's coming to know when I need to put my hands out and catch it. It's this idea that when you're in the light, things can't surprise you, things can't sneak up on you. He continues and gives this, this analogy of the thief at night. Right? Uh, imagine a, a thief sneaking into a house at night. But then imagine that you were sitting outside with them and you had night vision goggles on, right? Can you just imagine how silly that person would look as they're like slinking through the backyard thinking no one can see them? Because that's why a thief comes at night, because they can walk up to the outside of a building that, that even if the, the house is surrounded with fields for miles, that they can walk up without anyone seeing them. Whereas if a thief tried to sneak up on that same house in the middle of the day, you would look out and say, who's that thief-looking guy 500 yards away from the house 
trying to sneakily make his way over there. Paul says, look, you don't need to know the dates and times because it will be apparent to you. It'll be obvious. It won't be difficult to know what to do. He talks about the the people that are going to be in the world. I'm going to try and stay away from that today just because we can only focus on so much. He goes on, he says, you are the children of light, children of the day. We're not of the night. He says, don't sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. He continues from there, verse 8, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober. And then he says this, he says, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, this isn't the only time in the New Testament where we get this imagery of putting on armor that represents things that are spiritual. But this one is decidedly different from when, for instance, Jesus talks about it for a couple of reasons. The first thing that you'll notice is that Paul says, put on armor. And when we think about end times and end times discussions, both literally and spiritually, we like the idea of armor, right? It seems like something that we need protection from in the worst case of scenarios we need physical protection and we want to go just build a bunker and in another sense even spiritually and emotionally we need protection from things that people will will say or do to harm us and, and things like that so we can resonate pretty quickly with this idea of needing some protection during whatever the end times look like There's a couple things that are interesting about what Paul says, though. The first is he only mentions two pieces of armor. He mentions a breastplate, which would cover this part of your body, your torso, and a helmet. Now, armor, obviously in battle, protects you against attacks of the enemy. Then if I told you that I was going to make you go stand out Let's make it somebody else, because I wouldn't say this. (laughs) If someone else told you that they were going to make you go stand in a field while someone shot arrows at you, I wouldn't do that. Don't picture me saying that. You would probably want more than just a breastplate and a helmet, right? If I picture standing out in a field and someone says, you're going to go stand out there, and these guys are going to just shoot arrows at you for 30 seconds... I would say, can I get a little bit more armor? Because there's still a lot of me that's not covered by these two things. This still seems fairly unsafe. On the other hand, same scenario, I find out I'm going to, for whatever reason, have to go out in this field and have arrows shot at me if all of the armor, picture a a medieval suit of armor, right? There's, There's boots, and there's pieces for your, your calves and your shins and your thighs and arms and hands and, and all of these things. There's, there's 20 different pieces of armor on the ground. And the person said, you can pick two. I also have to admit, the two that I would pick would be the breastplate and the helmet. Because I don't really feel like taking an arrow to the knee. 
But I know that if I do, I can survive. I can't survive an arrow to the chest. So the first thing that Paul gives us in this imagery in this armor is that which protects our life. That which protects what is absolutely critical and most important about who we are. Which to me, and I will admit that this is this is interpretation. To me, that tells us that we should expect some degree of discomfort and pain in whatever the end times look like. That the goal of battle is to get out alive, not to get out without a scratch. And we should expect that and not be surprised by it. What's more significant, though, is the specific things he says about it and what that in turn tells us about what we should be doing in the world today. Because he defines them very specifically. First, the breastplate is of faith and love. And if you, uh, if you go back and look at, at the Greek, Paul is very specific in his wording. The breastplate is itself faith and love that is what essentially makes up this spiritual breastplate this armor that paul is talking about that we should have faith in who god is and what he does and in his promises and we should have and show love for others the second is the helmet which he says is the hope of salvation and again, if you look at the Greek, and if you, if you read what scholars say about this, the, the wording, the grammar is incredibly clear. It is the helmet of hope. And that's it. The breastplate is made of faith and love. The helmet is made of hope. And then Paul clarifies in a second statement that the hope that the helmet is, in, is placed in is salvation. But the helmet is not made of salvation if that imagery makes sense to you it's hope so the three things that we need are faith and love and hope and in parentheses of salvation faith love and hope as i thought about those three words this week preparing for this message i realized how many videos I've seen and teachings I have seen about what is going on in the world from a supposedly big biblical perspective that made me feel bankrupt of all those three things. I realized how many videos I've seen get shared on, on Facebook or Instagram that make me feel like God's not doing anything in the world or, or made me feel like the whole situation is just hopeless and awful and terrible. Videos that made me feel like I wanted to be aggressive towards those who don't believe and who are harming the church. And Paul gives us a clear, a clear metric. And if, if there's one thing I believe I can say confidently about this discussion, it's this, that when we discuss the end times, 
When we discuss the, the conflict that will and does arise between the church and the world, the three things that Paul tells us we need in abundance, the three things that Paul says we need to clothe ourselves with is faith, hope, and love. So that's a, that's a simple metric. So when you see something, when you read something, when you hear something, ask yourself this simple question. What do I feel? What do I experience? What am I thinking about as I hear what this person is saying? Is the way that they're speaking, both in body language, in tone of voice, and in their actual words and message, does it give me hope? Does it remind me of the hope that I have that I will be saved? Does it drive me to love my neighbor or build a bigger wall between me and them? Does it cause me to be more secure in my faith in what God is doing in the world or not? And if any of those three things are hindered by any source, any pastor, any preaching, any book, if those three things decrease in you, then it's not what Paul calls us to clothe ourselves with. I feel like that's... It's really basic. It's really simple. But so important. I wish I had more to say on this subject. I wish I had... Lots more answers. But Paul closes this way. He says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you're doing. So the Thessalonians go to Paul and they say, Paul, what are we supposed to do? What is happening? When is it coming? We have all these questions. And he says, just just keep doing what you're doing. Just encourage one another. Love each other. Build each other up. I know you're already doing that. Nothing new. No new orders. No new instructions. But Paul, it's getting so bad. Nope. Encourage one another. Build one another up. Just as you are doing. Let's pray. Father, We thank you for all that you have done and all that you are doing in our midst and in the world. We trust in you, God. We trust that you know what you're doing. We trust that... We trust in your wisdom and your grace. Increase our faith, increase our hope, and increase our love. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.